May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. As you can tell from our first lesson, we have left the book of Genesis, and now we are in the book of Exodus. Thanks to Danielle for reading that really long lesson. The book of Exodus, we should have just made the lesson even longer and just read from the first verse, but the book of Exodus picks up right where Genesis left off with the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, dwelling in Egypt. And then verse 6 and following, it notes saying, Now Joseph died, as well as all his brothers in all that generation. Then the children of Israel increased and multiplied, became numerous and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. So in this, maybe what we would think of naturally a little editorial comment, is replete with these allusions, I would contend, to the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God commanded Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. After the great flood, God repeats the command the Edenic command, if you will, to Noah. And then with Abraham, God makes a covenant promising that he will make him a great nation, that his descendants will be as numerous as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. So we see in the opening of Exodus the, God's purposes in creation. God's purposes in redemption coming to fruition as the people of God fill the land of Egypt. They're prospering. And as I've noted, well, several, several times as of late, the descendant of Abraham, the offspring, the seed through which whom all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed, in and through which God fully accomplishes his purposes, is Christ. So even in these opening verses, which may appear again to the modern reader, myself included, as pro forma, there is, if we dig for it, the gospel. Thus, if Joseph is a type of Christ... Then, for example, then what might his death as an offspring, a seed of Abraham, say about the seed of Abraham, which is Christ? Here's one such meditation from St. Caesareus of Arlay. He says this, he says, We have heard in the lesson which was read... Dearly beloved, he was much nicer to his people than I am to you, calling him dearly beloved. He says that when Joseph was dead, the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful and prolific, and they sprang up like grass. What does this mean, brethren? As long as Joseph lived, the children of Israel are not recorded to have increased or multiplied very much. 
But after he died, they are said to have sprung up like the grass. Surely they should have increased and multiplied more when they were under the patronage and protection of Joseph. These words were prefigured in that Joseph. But in our Joseph, that is, in Christ the Lord, they were fulfilled in truth. Before our Joseph, that is, before he was crucified, few people believed in him. But after he died and rose again throughout the world, the Israelites, that is, the Christian people, increased and multiplied. Thus, even the Lord himself says in the gospel, unless the grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. After the precious grain of wheat died and was buried through the passion, from that one grain, a harvest of the church sprang up throughout the world. Not as formerly was, quote, God renowned in Judah alone, nor is, quote, his great name worshipped only in Israel. But from the rising of the sun to its setting, his name is great among the nations. Thanks for bearing with me if you did. Many of my sermons are on, on the, what, meta-homiletical level, are really trying to draw your attention to the depth of Scripture. Said plainly, the Bible is awesome. And given uh, a thousand lifetimes, we could never plumb the depths of all that's going on in a given text. And that the Scriptures, that the so-called Old Testament is all about Jesus, and our Lord says as much. So as we get into the Exodus, Exodus meaning departure, the story of the deliverance of God's people from bondage and slavery in Egypt, we must understand that the Exodus is a type of the archetypal and cosmic story of redemption. We are told, we're finally to our reading, we are told in Exodus 1.8 that there arose a new king over Egypt, a new pharaoh who did not know Joseph. And Pharaoh, we read, was threatened by the Israelites. He was worried about them. And he said uh, to his court, to his people, he said, let us deal shrewdly with them. One translation says, let us outwit them. And so he treated the Israelites harshly. He burdened them with heavy labor. He enslaved them. But Israel prospered nonetheless. Israel prospered under persecution. Let the hearer understand. So Pharaoh doubles down. He commands two women, I'm, I'm so glad we get to know their names, two heroes, Shifra and Puah, who were Egyptians, but they were midwives to the Israelite women. They were instructed to kill all the baby boys. They refused this Luciferian command. 
And God blessed them. He blessed them. They risked their lives to protect innocent life. And God blessed them. He blessed them for risking their lives to do the right thing. For fearing God rather than fearing man. Pharaoh does not wake up. He universalizes his infanticidal command, saying, okay, every son who is born you shall cast in the river. So instead of just telling the two midwives to do this, he said, okay, we're going we're gonna to expand this program. We read that a couple from the house of Levi, we get their names elsewhere in Scripture, Amram and Jochebed have a baby boy. The text says that, like every mother, she found her son beautiful. She hides him for three months, but she realizes, rightly, that she can't hide him forever. So she does something that on the surface can only be understood as Desperate, or something that can only be viewed as desperate. She makes a floating baby carrier. <laughs> she takes some reeds, some bulrushes, and she makes an ark. An ark of salvation, we could call it. And she puts Moses in the river. And Moses... The hope and eventual deliver, deliverer of Egypt, he goes floating down the river. I mean, what, what is seen? Throughout Scripture and I think throughout our lives, from a, a human perspective, the plan of God as it's working out seems precarious. Israel's entire hope is a baby in a basket floating down the river. A new king arose who did not know Joseph. In the beginning, there arose a new king in the Garden of Eden who did not know the true Joseph. He knew of him, but he did not know him. He was a usurper. He was a serpent who was cunning. He presumably was threatened as well by the people of God. He resented these glorious creatures made in God's image and likeness. So he sought to outwit God's people in the garden, and he succeeded. He led mankind astray. He put him into, he led him into the shackles of sin, into the bondage of decay, and put him under the dominion of death. This king, this archetypal pharaoh, if you will, is harsh to his subjects. He comes only to kill, to steal, and destroy. 
But one day, long after Moses, the true king is born. His life, too, is threatened. Another king named Herod, in the spirit of Pharaoh, in the spirit of Satan, commands all the male children in Bethlehem to and under to be killed. And you know the story, perhaps. The Holy Family flees where? To Egypt. For it is out of Egypt that God calls his son. Again, isn't the Bible amazing? And God's eternally begotten son, wisdom incarnate, outwits Pharaoh, outwits Satan, by his death, he enters the kingdom of death and overthrows it and he which held the power of death. In today's gospel, Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades. The gates of hell, the gates of death shall not prevail against it. Now, there has been much debate, this is an understatement, concerning what or whom the rock is. Is the rock Peter? I mean, his name means rock. Is the rock Peter's confession of faith in Christ? Is the rock Christ himself? Well, which one is it? And the answer is yes. Christ is the rock. He's the chief cornerstone of the new and true temple, which is his mystical body, the church. The church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, of whom Peter, the rock, is the leader, and the faith which they confess has as its bedrock the confession of Christ as Lord. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Jesus, by entering the chaotic waters of death, swung open the gates of death. He now, as he says in the book of Revelation, he holds the keys of death and hell. Hell's gates did not and will not prevail. The doors have been swung wide open. Jesus has accomplished his departure, his exodus, and now he calls all people to come out of slavery into freedom, into the promised land of an eternal Sabbath rest. He cries out from the altar, from the pulpits, from the midst of the nave in the reading of the gospel, come unto me, all ye who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
want to suggest to you, hearing that verse, pondering that verse, that invitation, not simply within a sort of fatigue of life, well, aren't we all so weary? Isn't life hard? And it is. But to hear that within the Exodus motif, that he's calling you out of a life of bondage to sin and to Satan and to death, and he's calling you into his eternal rest. To take up his yoke, which is easy, and his burden, which is light. We were enslaved in Egypt by sin, death, and Satan. But if we are in Christ, if we have been incorporated into him by baptism, then we have gone through death and resurrection. We have gone through the Red Sea of his blood to freedom. The great battle has been won. However, the war goes on. We are buffeted in the wilderness as we journey towards the blessed age to come. And one of the keys to the Christian life, and we're going to see this as we go through the book of Exodus, one of the keys to the Christian life is to not buy into the lie that, you know what, life was pretty good back in Egypt. Brothers and sisters, we are not to return to that from which we were rescued. We have to remember that back there is only death and that abundant life, the life for which we were created, the life for which we redeemed or redeemed is found alone in Christ. So let us who are weary, and we all are weary, run with and toward Jesus, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit lives and reigns, one God, now and forever. Amen.